0: the power of duct tape compels you. You know, a studio in infinite locations across time and space really puts wear and tear on the foundation.
1: David! David! The jingle is broken!
0: Ellie, I'm a little busy.
1: The jingle won't play.
0: Reality is falling apart around us, Ellie. This is your big concern?
1: We signed a contract with the Audio Fiction 101 people.
0: Ugh, okay. Did you try saying the magic words?
1: Are you Are you kidding me right now?
0: When I feel blue and I'm big stresso, I just close my eyes, put on a big old smile, and say, Okay, Will, play that jingle. <laughs> See, there's nothing side. wrong with the beat. Make Uh oh. oh.
1: I told you! The jingle's broken, David! I think everything's broken!
0: Oh, Dip, that is so many space goats, Elena.
1: Our audience isn't going to get to learn about the power of location from Gabriel, Sarah, and Zach.
0: I don't get it. The jingle always works.
1: And now, look, we gave it anxiety.
0: Anxiety?
1: The whole studio is messed up. There's that non-Euclidean space goat, and a second Rashika, and some weird ghost following Anne because the studio is haunted, according to them, and everything is broken. That's it? This can't be the end.
0: It is the end, but just of this ad. Deep breath, Ellie. Remember, we're a team. We're in this story together. What would Audio Fiction 101 tell you to do?
1: Gabrielle and the 10-point structure says to make more problems for the characters and make everything worse.
0: Check, things are definitely worse, but after that comes course correction. The characters have to make a new set of decisions. Ellie? Oh no. I have a very dumb but also extremely good plan. Come on, we've got to find that aromatherapy, Mister!
1: David, this is not a problem. You can just lavender away.
0: Watch me. Audio Fiction 101 offers need based scholarships. Find out more at learn.fearofpublicshame.com. Use the code Radiodrama, all one word, at checkout for 15% off your order. <laughs> This week, did you ever think about the notion that a tabletop role-playing game is itself largely an audio medium? I sure didn't. Did you ever think about the weird assumptions that undergird so many beloved games? Like, why are orcs bad? Are they actually? Who told us that? You're in for a fabulous, fast-paced discussion with Brandon and Jordan of The Ordinary Epic, and it's all coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey friends, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. I had the privilege and delight to be joined by Jordan Stillman and Brandon Kroos, the executive producer and writer of The Ordinary Epic. I think I'm always nervous before an interview, and sometimes it can take 15 to 20 minutes for me to settle in to get situated in a conversation with a subject. Now, certainly this time it helped that I already knew Jordan, but I think you'll be able to hear how immediately comfortable I was with these two. I don't know if this has broad applicability, but if any of you are interested in becoming interviewers, I can tell you that a good rapport is as important as doing your research. And, of course, a shout-out, as usual, to Heather and her fabulous research work on this interview. I had a wonderful time talking to these two fine creators. And if you ever have a question about interviewing people, if you like the way I do things, or if you think they could be improved, drop me a line, hit us up on Twitter, or join the RDR Discord. Meanwhile, here is this week's conversation, which features light spoilers throughout Season 1 of Ordinary Epic. Enjoy! Brandon and Jordan, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. What a pleasure to have you both on the show. Oh, thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here.
2: Yes. Thank <laughs> you so much for having us.
0: So so to start us off, um, I would like you to tell me the story of how the two of you met and became friends. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you, uh, how do
2: you want to do uh, this thing?
0: I, I would
3: actually, I would love to hear your version of it.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so Brandon and I were colleagues for many years uh, at the American Meteorological Society.
0: Um, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 wait. Can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Please, can I guess? Did you meet at the game night you instituted?
2: Yes. No. Kind of. <laughs> well.
3: Well, no. We met at your interview.
2: That, I, that's true. They, we met at, at my interview. Uh, so we were both copy editors for for many years okay. uh, at the AMS. Uh, though we did become friends through the game night i instituted yeah
3: i think i think we kind of we didn't co-found it you founded it but oh, i did. but i i i helped you develop that idea Yes,
2: absolutely <laughs> uh yeah so i was uh, right out of college uh 21 years old uh 22 maybe and uh i i was 21 at the time i interviewed got the job started the next in january i was still in school and um yeah, we, we started working together and then we became friends through board games and um mutual kvetching.
3: Yeah. And there was <laughs> uh there was a writing group. Yes. Um that we were both a part of. And I kind of used the 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 deadline of I knew I had a workshop coming up. I, I used that to uh finally get serious about creating what became the pilot for the ordinary epic. So so Jordan was actually um the, the original emo thack <laughs> in, in in that table read, <laughs> cool. Yes, yeah, and se- several other uh, AMS coworkers were uh, originated the other roles.
0: <laughs> Brandon, let's let's dive into the the history of. The ordinary epic, because I saw a post on your website dated to about 2016 or mm-hmm. so about your plans for it. Right. So I want to hear about the the origin of the series, like the the video web series you had planned. That that one episode of the truth, chaotic, neutral. Like, tell me about all the the forms that this thing took before it was this audio drama.
3: Yeah. You know, Jordan warned me that you do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we have a team i do i never work alone <laughs> um so it, it, it's it's uh i've been trying to tell i had been trying to tell for years and years uh trying to capture the the thing that that the magic that happens when when you pl- sit down with with people you know or don't and play a role-playing game like let's let's say for example, totally random uh, Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Uh, oh wow, what
3: a poll! Yeah, yeah, you know it's, it's a game I've heard of, real real up and comer. Uh, so there was a movie in uh, God, what was that? Two thousand one, I think.
0: Oh, the Dungeons the and Dungeons movie? and
3: Dragons movie, and this this predated the Fellowship of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, what was by, that
0: character's name? Squibs. <sighs> Oh my God! Yeah, I've forgotten. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I've continue wiped it from my memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it just... I, I saw it in theaters. I thought I saw that in theaters. It, yeah. I saw oh yeah. Wing Commander in theaters just to see the Phantom Menace yeah. uh, preview. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I may have seen a midnight show of it. I'm not sure, <laughs> but uh, I, I had I had I had really pinned my hopes on on it because D and D had meant so much to me growing up, and and I just I I loved the the, the worlds and the kind of interplay. And um,
0: and, that... uh, tell me, Brendan, how did how did you feel about that motion picture?
3: <laughs> it's a cinematic masterpiece. It's underappreciated. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was uh, it was god awful. <laughs> right. I mean it, it, I don't know. It, it just it really missed the point for me of of what was d and D. I I mean, first of all, they were always splitting up, right? What what about the party? Terrible it wasn't plan. a party. There was a main character in supporting supporting cast. Anyway. That wasn't great. There there was a a D and D cartoon series in the uh, what was that like late seventies, early eighties, um, which I've I've seen a few episodes of and and, and that did actually try and capture a little bit the sort of the duality of the worlds, but um but because we we were having a big um, satanic scare, I think about D D at that time. It was they they went they went on a carnival ride and then and then <laughs> and then they were transported to the magical fantasy world, like you do. So anyway, what, what I'm trying to get at is is that there there was no story at that time that really captured what that experience is. They were kind of mostly just sort of telling Lord of the Rings light stories. Uh, but for me, role-playing games are what you bring to it. It's it's not just a story about some awesome fantasy character. It's the fact that you are that awesome fantasy character. And then what are you able to express as that person that you're not as yourself? So I tried to write a short story. Well, it was it was going to be a YA series in college. I just I couldn't break it. Um, there was the web series you mentioned, which I developed with my uh, then co-writer, John Tanzer. Which actually uh, tonally was starting to get pretty close to what The Ordinary Epic ended up being, but was, was much more of a comedy, much more of kind of a sitcom kind of approach. And then I kind of, I just uh, sat on it for years and years. I had worked in in the world of audio drama and then kind of left it behind for a while and kind of not forgot about it, but just um, had no idea it was starting to
0: blossom in the way it was. Sure. You and I got started around the same time because you yeah. were doing Second Shift in like 2006. Yep. Yeah, which was when I was in college, starting a, a radio theater company, and being like, "Has anyone else doing this besides like Greg Taylor in in
3: Toronto?" <laughs> it's funny now to look back to see like like how many people were doing it, but but yeah, I think every one of us felt felt like we were reinventing the wheel.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that it was alive in Britain. I didn't know right. that it was alive in Germany. All I knew <laughs> was that like you know Dakota Ring Theater was doing this thing. Yeah, and yeah. Now look at us. I know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> We're rich. I always knew it would happen. <laughs> I always knew it.
0: Friendships. <laughs> That's right.
3: Right. And, and experiences, which is the the important thing. So the real
0: prizes, said David <laughs> sanctimoniously. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Sorry. Go on. You had you had left the world of audio drama behind for a while and then you came back to it.
3: Yeah. Um, so I mean, I mean it's it's always kind of been my thing that or it has for a while where where I just I badly would love to write like a like a TV series you know and, uh, and instead of kind of asking permission to do that from someone, I kind of felt like, well, what if, what if I just did it? What if I just um, found a story and uh, self-produced it? And what would that look like? And uh, The Ordinary Epic kind of came out of that. And the, the, the process of writing the pilot was, was long and tortured with many false starts and stops. And, and now here we are.
0: And I I think you said in an interview you did with uh, Greg Lamb and John Minigan of the Boston Podcast Players, you mentioned Mm -hmm. this one episode of The Truth. Yes, yes, right. So uh, I believe
3: the title of the episode is uh, Chaotic Neutral, and it's about a group of gamer friends who show up for their game night and uh, learn that one of them has died in a car accident en route to the game night. And so they're able to use uh, their experience in the game to kind of grieve and say goodbye to that friend. And so I had been struggling with what would be like the ideal format for a story like this. And then I heard that episode (laughs) and realized, ah, yes, an audio drama. (laughs) Let's do that, but make, you know, uh, many episodes and uh, call it a season, perhaps two, maybe three. And then uh, there's an episode of Community, a friend had showed me, uh, called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, where where it kind of it, it captured that essence, too, where it wasn't – it actually, interestingly, with, with that, um, m- took place in the real world completely. There wasn't, like, a, a fantasy immersion to it. There would just kind of be light sound design when they were slipping into character. Um, and I thought that was really clever and well done, too, so – so yeah, in 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 into all of this went a sort of mélange of <laughs> of influences, I guess. Did you watch The Guild when it aired when that web series was on or? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose probably it would be fair to call that an influence as well.
2: <laughs> well, I think when I first when I first started hearing about The Ordinary Epic as a concept, I was like, "Oh, have you heard of The Guild?" And you were like, "Yes, actually." <laughs> So this
0: question is for, for both of you. Um, within the past year, I was in a game with a bunch of total strangers. I was in the Marcus position in like a mm-hmm. completely new city. And this was a, a group of people that really wanted to, at least initially, get right to the game. Mm-hmm. So the way that I got to know them, or at least identify what they valued in life, was through watching them role play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't you don't have to name any names or throw any friends under the bus <laughs> here, but I'm wondering <laughs> if, if either of you have... <laughs> A working theory about how people reveal themselves through role-playing games. Mm. Well,
2: I know Brandon definitely does. Uh.
0: Sure. <laughs> I'm sure I do. I'm struggling to
3: articulate it, though. <laughs> um, I,
2: I think that it, it's – yes. First of all, yes. I think that it depends from person to person. And I, I've seen this you know, myself playing with friends um, predominantly – You sort of do, you get to see people very differently when they're role playing because you get a chance to like sort of try some different things on. So, some, you know, sometimes you're trying on a toughness, or even more interestingly, I feel like a sensitivity. Um, Mm. There's a game I'm playing right now, and uh, my partner is role playing uh, this wizard elf who's like so pompous and my character's very down to the earth and we fight all the time in game but like we don't do that (laughs) in real life and it's just really funny because it's like it is him but it's not it's like what he thinks that is like funny about being that character and I can see Uh that um and it's just yeah it's just like you get to like play act but it's def. There's definitely parts of you in it. Um, like one of my favorite characters that I ever played was in a game uh, of Vampire: The Masquerade. Uh, which okay. I actually played with Brandon, and um, I was like this very smart, like super badass. Oh, can I swear? I don't know if I can swear. You
0: may swear with reckless abandon. Ooh. Great. Okay. What would I? What, what <laughs> am I like? Uh, two Bostonians coming on my show. You think I'm not going to let you curse? That's okay. offensive. That is a broad okay.
3: fucking stereotype, guy. Uh huh. <laughs> oh,
2: sorry. Prove um, yeah, me
0: wrong, I beg. <laughs>
2: So I was playing um, this like really smart, badass vampire lady who she was just like what I wished I could be. Like sometimes we'd be role playing, and I would be at a loss because Charlotte was so much smarter than me. And but it was kind of fun to do that and be like, I will figure out the thing. Um, Uh huh. And yeah, so I, I think that role playing gives you a chance to to just explore. And and play and it's just that's why it's so fun.
3: Yeah, Charlotte was was you, but with like a hundred percent more murder.
2: Like a hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, I I would agree with what Jordan said. Um, and I, I think I think for the ordinary epic, you know, I'm I'm definitely we're definitely playing up a little bit, sort of. You know, um, not not every game I've been a part of is, is like a cathartic, you know, <laughs> right. fi- finding pieces of yourself you can right. only touch through right. through a fictional version of you, um, kind of thing. You know, it's it's dra- drama is is always amplified. So, but 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 the kernel of that is is there, yeah. That you kind of get to try out different pieces, and and I think sometimes it it can be revealing in a way you might not have intended.
2: Right, right. I think that. It depends so much. Sometimes it is like playing and laughing. Like when my partner is being super silly as a a character, it's like this really like playful, fun thing. But also you can definitely get into moments where like you are experiencing things that you would never experience in real life because there's not magic or vampires or whatever. And it gives you this space to, to sort of, try things out and i just i find it i find it so fascinating
0: sure jordan yeah per a testimonial from brandon on your website you oh. not only served <laughs> as the <laughs> <laughs> you not only served as the executive producer on the ordinary epic but also as a sharp-eyed script editor what yes. are you looking to correct edit or adjust when you look at a collaborator's script
2: sure so when I was working with Brandon, and also just more in general, um, whenever I edit and I've you know i've I've edited lots of things uh, this that was my first time ever editing audio drama script, but I've edited lots and lots of research papers, uh, <laughs> like so many, <laughs> uh, but predominantly uh, fiction and like like prose fiction and comics and so whenever I'm editing, I'm always just looking for ways to bring the story forward and sort of cut away anything that doesn't serve the characters, anything that doesn't serve the story and sort of just tighten and tweak until you have the thing that's closest to what the author is trying to say. Um, and with Brandon, it was, it was really fun because he, he sort of always had like, he came to the, to all the scripts came to me um, just like so delightful and, um, I I didn't write any of the the first season. Um I mostly just did editing. Um there were probably a little few line tweaks here and there. But Brandon would just like be like here's a bunch of stuff and I'd be like this is a delight. Like cuz he was just like the the characters and the world, I was just like so enthralled with it from the very first script read. And so it was always fun to be like okay, so here's this, but like this line doesn't work. Like maybe Maybe a different name, maybe a different uh, phrase that is disparaging. There were a lot of those emo-slinging uh, random <laughs> a- epithets at a <laughs> Dom. Um, and sort of just like looking for ways to serve the characters in the story. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, you were very good at kind of identifying... Um, when I would get kind of writerly and, and clunky yes. where, where like it, it would be, uh, if this came out of a human mouth, uh, <laughs> the, the, the mouth would find it challenging. Right. <laughs> and, and also, uh, throughout your comments would be scattered these, these little like hilarious gems that, that I think I, I repurposed at least a few of them. They, oh, they made it into emo lines or, yeah.
2: <laughs> well when I when I line edit, I have this tendency to um at the end I go through and I'm like, here is a cohesive feedback thing. But when I'm like actually going through, especially if I'm like editing in like Google Docs or something, which we use we use Google Docs a lot just for ease of sharing, um, I tend to just like put my feelings as I'm, as I'm going through. So I'll be like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. Or like, yeah. <laughs> be like, love it, ship it. Like I just, <laughs> um, so, and then I, I use those also as I'm sort of going through to, to take a look at pacing and um, you know, how those story beats are being hit. That is that is a
0: very familiar set of feelings for me. <laughs> Brandon, I want to go back to something you and I were talking about earlier. So you've been you've been writing audio dramas since the dawn of the podcast era, what you called in a piece from last September, <laughs> the Bronze Age of Modern Audio Fiction. Yeah. So I, I'd like you to tell me about the changes that you've witnessed in the medium from the earliest days when you were beginning working on Second Shift to the present. How has your approach to writing this medium changed between Second Shift and Ordinary Epic?
3: Wow. What a great question. Thank you well well like 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 we were talking about earlier and 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 in my piece i i use bronze age kind of kind of lightly acknowledging in there that um of course <laughs> audio drama was was alive and well in other parts of the world it it only felt felt like we were pioneering it um, yes apologies to our international listeners <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, when we were trying to figure out second shift, I I remember going back to like like old-time radio serials, like I listened to a couple like episodes of The Adventures of Superman and stuff like that. And um it really it really did feel like reinventing an old form, kind of kind of taking the the tools and tricks of that but but telling a story that was uh sort of as 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 current or compelling as your favorite TV show, basically, which actually uh, I, I had the opportunity to meet um, Ella Watts recently. Well known to this podcast, I'm sure. Um, it's true, and uh, she and I had a really fascinating conversation about how um, she was saying that uh, in in America, because we we kind of it seems like we did sort of forget <laughs> about audio dramas, or or they sort of died for a little while. That that American audio dramas feel very inspired by television. They, they feel like tv shows that are kind of adapted into audio sometimes whereas maybe a british show because audio drama you know was alive and well and has been there's there's maybe more of a, a tradition to that that's observed maybe um she could have put that a lot more eloquently than i did <laughs> but uh yeah i definitely i thought of it as how, how do i how do i tell a tv story in audio format uh, I mean, the big thing that changed between 2006 and and now 2020 is uh, uh, people know what a podcast is. Not not right. everyone knows how to listen to it. Um, there's there's still a lot of uh, you know, Brandon. I've been meaning to listen to your show, but I just I don't know. Where do you find podcasts? <laughs> um, that's that's still alive and well, certainly, but. The secret's out. I mean, uh, it, it was interesting when when we launched. I, I think specifically April of 2019 was was an insane boom month just for like audio drama releases. There were just so many crazy good ones that that came out of that time. Windfall, others I'm blanking on. Whereas uh, back in my day, <laughs> sure, it, 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 it felt it felt very not not lonely, not uncrowded but just um it it felt like you were you were inventing something and now it feels a little bit more like you're not competing necessarily i mean it's it's such a such a warm and open and supportive community but it it is it is really challenging i think to kind of stand out to kind of uh market yourself beyond just the audio drama community and i mean that that might be more about the state too of of just the internet and social media which social media barely existed in 2006 so <laughs> Um, but yeah, in, in terms of writing, um, I, I think maybe the main difference is just that the ordinary epic was, was a, a, a show I created as opposed to one I, I worked on and helped develop. Cause you were, you were hired off of Craigslist for that one, weren't you? Yes. For
0: Second Shift? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's buck wild to me. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, uh, yeah. It it still exists. Uh, I mean, th- that's 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 how we found Matt uh, Lightbound, our sound that designer. That is true. With <laughs> Wild. Yeah, <laughs> you'd that's be surprised. <laughs> we may have posted the ad as originating from from Burbank or Los Angeles or something, I but
2: <laughs> did we? I don't even remember that.
0: Yeah, I might have done that. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> So both of you, I want to – like in brief, I want to hear about your your histories with tabletop gaming because I feel like I've played with all of the characters in Ordinary Epic. Like I said before, I've been Marcus. I hope I've never been Dom.
2: <laughs> Funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you do research on me?
2: No. No. Uh, I –
3: I know what she's gonna say.
2: <laughs> we, we, we started playing Vampire the Masquerade for the very first time. Me, Brandon, and a few other friends of ours, and we we were starting work on the Ordinary Epic. So we like we'd been we were like in the middle of it, and we started playing. And Brandon like looked at me like halfway through and was like, "You're a dom," and I was like, "I'm sorry. I just want to know what we're doing. Like, why can't we be organized about this?" <laughs>
3: Oh, she she went full Dom like several times, at least once a game.
2: I like to think of myself as a Dom-Emo hybrid.
3: Yeah. You're the, you're the unholy love child of, of Emo and Dom. You are.
2: I'm not proud. Brandon definitely has more of a background in D&D, like a longer more storied background than I do. Oh. Um I started playing with my fiance in we were not fiancés <laughs> at the time. Uh like maybe like 2013, we played with his group of friends. Well, I I ask
0: like like tabletop role playing games can be so gatekeepy. I'm yeah. asking not as like a like a pissing contest kind of question, <laughs> but as like a damn it, because I was I was going to win that. Like I'm not trying to like <laughs> suss out like are you guys real, real gamers, gamers? <laughs> like. I, but but just like your experience. No. Yeah. Form. Anyway, I just want to make that abundantly clear oh, I, that I, I, I see never you dabbed. all as valid. I never doubted okay. for a
2: moment. Um. Yeah, I came into it late. In life, I was like in my 20s and um, I was like, a chance to play a game and act fantastic. Um, <laughs> that was my favorite part. I loved the acting bit. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I've played all kinds of characters. I used to do like, I was like, I always got to play the smartest, cutest, elfiest archer or, or mm-hmm. but I've recently I'm trying to play characters that are a lot more different than me and that's been really fun because it actually you can act a lot more um so yeah I've I've been kind of all over the place
3: yeah I uh oh man I think the first game of d and I played was was 6th grade yes! and I I had no friends and I was <laughs> I was I was, I was, th- I was thoroughly miserable th- between 5th <laughs> and 6th grade every uh, my peer group had discovered um MTV and VH1 and and they were kind of using it as like oh, okay, this is, this is what fashion is. This is, uh, this is how we talk. This is how we act. This is the music we listen to. Uh, and my mother had blocked those channels, uh, for having too much sex. So, uh, I proceeded into sixth grade, basically as I wasn't fifth grade, but a year older, I just, i still loved like exploring in the woods. And like, I was just very earnest and awkward and like, you know, imaginative when, when those things were uh, no longer cool. So, um, um, some someone, thank God, found me and said, "This this 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 boy needs D um, anD D." Uh, and I, I think my first character, because I couldn't decide, I wanted to be everything, was like a like a half elf fighter thief mage. Uh-huh. It, this was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, yep. either first or second edition, when you could do such such strange uh, combinations. Oh, I guess you still can. Um, we fought a giant scorpion. One of the players like whispered a lot to the DM, and I think was secretly st- stealing our stuff. It was a whole <laughs> side plot that was never resolved. I I may have died. The scorpion might have killed me. I'm not sure. Oh, we not playing, and that was the last time we ever played. But I was like, uh, just 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 looking at all the illustrations and the, te- the in the the rule books and everything. I was utterly hooked, and I went out and I. I bought an adventure not realizing you would need like <laughs> the rule books before you understood how the adventure worked. And I mean it was just it was a lot of for years kind of pouring over all that material and just kind of
0: And this would have been in like the Faco era, right? Like of of so many more tables in the source books than there are oh. presently. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah, when I was in sixth grade, I also could not get – I couldn't get anyone to play with me. Like, I got the rule books, but I couldn't get anyone interested to play with me. Aww. I couldn't get my little sister to play. I couldn't yeah. get my parents to play. And so I just sort of looked at the books. For a while, what
3: I settled for was, was kind of like running around with my neighborhood friends and saying we were playing D&D. But it was kind of sure. – like, it was more like a like an improvised LARP.
2: <laughs> That's still cute.
3: Yeah. I yeah, kind of wish cute. I
2: had I had discovered it younger – um I've pretty much only known fifth edition. I think <laughs> I may have I may have played four and a half or whatever whatever that strange in between one was.
0: Oh three point five. Three point
2: five. That's it. Three point five. Um I'm such a bad nerd. Um <laughs> but <laughs>
0: Please, no, I will not allow any kind of self-flagellation of that sort on this podcast. You are a fine nerd.
2: Thank you, David. I really appreciate it.
0: And I shall brook no objections.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I I think I played one game of that, but I had no idea what I was doing. Like, it was very early on, and I think it was really hard and confusing. So I, I love fifth edition.
3: Yeah. And I also played Shadowrun. was was a game I enjoyed with my uh, my middle and high school friends. Oh my God, uh, I read a lot of Middle Earth role playing. I never actually tricked anyone into playing it with me. But <laughs> <laughs> talk about tables! That was like, oh my God, just creating a character would take you a month. Um, and I just pretty much did that over and over again. Uh... <laughs> but the
0: the archetypes that you've put into the show. Like, how many of them are not Jordan? (laughs) You know, I don't, I actually don't think I've
3: ever told Jordan this, but uh, when I was writing Emo, I imagined Jordan cranked up to 11. Oh, thank you. And then, and then I actually experienced Jordan cranked up to 11, and I realized, oh, these are very different characters. That's Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dom. Um yeah. Emo was was my imaginary version of of what would be an, a more extreme Jordan, I think. And then and then she is Dom, but accidentally.
2: Yeah. Sure. I I would like to defend myself and say that I'm <laughs> I'm not often like Dom. It was mostly one time. Um and I I think I was not that bad in our our future games. But I also I, I didn't know that about Emo. So that's delightful. I, I love yeah. that. Um We're
0: all learning today. <laughs>
2: um because I've always really identified with Emo. I love I love her. Well there's a Aww. reason. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's very sweet.
3: <laughs> yeah, and then in terms of inspiration for other characters, um, I mean, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I, in looking back at the first season, I think the character that's th- the most based on me is actually Athena, oddly, because usually when I was uh, gaming, I was running the game, and and so I, I felt very keenly that thing of sort of you're you're the person in the room doing doing most of the preparation for the evening. Um, people are there and they're excited to be there and they're having fun and and they're sharing videos and they're cracking jokes and, and they're also playing. But, but you're having to kind of do this like crazy mental juggling act of like, you know, Oh, okay. Now we're social time. Oh, okay. Now, now we're game time and you're, you're holding the math and also the storytelling and trying to keep things moving, but also accurate. Um, so I, I felt very keenly that, that thing of kind of, um, being taken for granted, and then as as for the other characters um I I have known some Dominics in my day certainly <laughs> His his line uh I, I really don't like this kind of uh, table talk oh my basically God. The, the the episode table talk was based Ugh. on an experience I had uh, gaming with a friend of a friend where that experience was was not not my funnest night, but it it really directly inspired that episode, the the central question of are we friendly gamers or are we friends who game? Um, that, that evening clarified for me that I am, I am definitely I'm, I'm there I'm there to be with my friends and also playing a game, not necessarily. It's really difficult, and that's why I don't game as much as I would like to. It's really difficult for me to just find a group and play with them if If we're not sort of aligned in some way, I guess. but anyway, we we were all kind of getting to know each other. and uh, the uh, the fella, the gentleman looked uh, very very directly at the person who was currently talking and said, uh, I actually don't like this kind of crosstalk at my table." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I, I, I see. And we all just fell into a, an embarrassed silence, and then just quietly played the game for another hour, and then went home. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's 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 gaming for some people. They're just there to game. Yeah, you know. You uh, know
2: who else I've always really identified with is is Marcus himself mm. um, as someone who's like the new character, and also like. Kind of a troublemaker in terms of like the plot. Mm. I always like that about him.
3: Yeah, I I I think uh, not Daniel, but but Daniel's Merrick is is how I would like to be. Just really kind of like funny and witty and charming and kind of yeah. uh, you know, just socially slick and also stabby.
2: Very stabby. <sighs>
0: So in the episode, Modern Day Factivism, Emo as Thac puts forth the notion that maybe you shouldn't just murder orcs on site just because they're <laughs> orcs, just because the monster manual says they're evil. I mean, who wrote the monster manual after all? And, and since the episode ends without any orcs dying, I'm going to assume that you share at least some of Emo's sympathies, although she does get chided for hijacking the game. But is she right? Like what other elements of D&D did you originally consume uncritically that you now view with emo's wariness,
3: yeah, that's always that. That's something where it's I'm I'm very aware of that thing where where evil is always ugly, you know, where the the heroes are are comely, uh, you know, capable, uh, potent, uh, charming. They can do whatever they want, and then um, I remember I was running um, an adventure module called Night Below for for AD and D Second Edition, and there was a scenario where there was a whole cave of of orcs and um be- because the the adventure was very thorough it kind of it created whole worlds and then it was up for the dungeon master to sort of guide the players through it however they wanted to. And what ended up happening was there was, you know, a a clan, a family, a family of orcs, including like orc children between them and the entrance to where they needed to go. And I, I guess the implication of the game was that they should killed them all <laughs> yeah. We we sort of like I, I had to create this like weird like days ex machina thing where like a recurring villain kind of poofed in and then killed them all and wasn't that terrible but also convenient now we can go where we need to go um <laughs> yeah uh i i guess just that thing was what i was trying to explore the the idea and that there is an empirical good and an and an empirical evil is is something that about D anD D that that has an age probably great where uh, you know as 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 a paladin you you can actually like see evil you can see a hue of evil around a person that you can be a person in the world who like. <laughs> you're just a bad person you deserve to die you know <laughs> rather rather than that maybe people have different goals or different perspectives or different life experiences is is not something that the system of dungeons and dragons really accounts for that well yeah so i, I don't know jordan if you have any thoughts
2: no i i would definitely agree uh D point blank like just opening the the manual and going very much is not about exploring all the complexities of gray in life. <laughs> but I, I think the best games that I've been in sometimes will do that. And uh, I think that it's good that you can, if you want to like, yeah. why not have like a, an orc or a goblin who you like you, you hang out with for a little while. Like they're actually, they're cool and they'll, they're going to help you out or like, I don't know, tieflings. Yeah. So, I have a game that I'm, I'm running and one of my friends is playing a dragonborn and like he's uh, like a dandy. He like wears really nice clothes, and he's a bard, and he's the best. A dandy born. Yes, <laughs> it's it's the best. Uh, like I imagine him in like a cravat, and <laughs> I've just decided like I am not I'm gonna ignore the fact that people are supposed to be afraid of him because it's not interesting and it doesn't serve the story and it makes play- gameplay less fun. So I'm mm. you know wherever we go, it's totally normal for a dragonborn to be there because. It's just more fun. What a fine, fire-breathing gentleman. Yes. And he's so good on the loot.
0: (laughs) Brandon, in in an interview you did with Greg Lamb and John Minnigan of the Boston Podcast Players, you made a comparison that I'd surprisingly never heard before in all my years of listening to actual play podcasts, Mm -hmm. that an in-person tabletop role-playing game, aside from the use of maps and miniatures and dice, is... Very largely an auditory affair. Mm-hmm. The, the experience of being at the table and imagining a world together with your friends is not very unlike listening to an audio drama in the first place. Right. And I had an experience like that not so long ago, as a GM described this terrifying portal-like pathway between planes of existence, and the players all just sort of sat back and went, "Damn. Okay. C- cool. <laughs> can you can you expand on more on your 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 thinking about that idea?"
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, role-playing games are, are are unique among all the other tabletop games in that it doesn't run without everyone buying into the collective imagination of the world. And you see where where we dip from the epic back into the ordinary um, in our show is when there's a disruption of some kind, when like when that illusion is kind of shattered or, or uh, pierced in a way and and i I love board games I love you know uh, the, the fantasy flight makes makes these games that I could play forever once I have poured 20 hours into understanding the rule book <laughs> um, <laughs> you know that I and my my friends and my wife have poured like hundreds and hundreds of hours into like the Battlestar Galactica you know board game and things like that but the, the pieces of the game are all on the table for you to see and it kind of it might reference moments from the show but you're never slipping into character and kind of inhabiting the character you're quote unquote playing in a game like that and that illusion is completely conjured through the DM just sort of telling you what's happening and you choosing to, to kind of let that be evoked in your mind. And it's, you know, slightly different for everyone. That's what's great about imagination.
0: Ta-da! It, so in that in that same uh, Boston podcast players interview, Minigan described the fantasy sequences of the ordinary epic as the subtext to the exterior world of the players, mm. and he noted, and I don't know that I would necessarily agree. I think that they're both subtextual for one another, but, but mm. fine. Uh, he he noted that it was interesting that the fantasy sequence resolves relatively neatly, while the players' lives outside of the game remain in turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, feel free to. Answer or not answer this to your level of comfort. In season two, will the protagonists roll new characters, play a different game? Mm. Do we get to see new facets of their personalities as refracted through their new game choices?
3: Without spoiling too much, I think what we've – because a rule we sort of set for ourselves in season one was – and this was informed by by early drafts of the pilot that just didn't work, where where I had characters kind of, oh, it's look, it's Marcus ringing the doorbell. Why does not emo go get him? Up the stairs, clomp, 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 open the door. Hello, Marcus. You know, I realized, let's just keep the players at the table. So all the real world sequences, you never see them coming or going. They're just at the table and there isn't a lot of physicality about that. But because the the game and the game world has kind of like blown up, I think we've earned the right to kind of um, to take pieces of the ordinary you don't usually see and kind of examine that. And also in some ways... Maybe the epic isn't always a game, you know. Maybe oh. there, maybe there's uh, pieces of of uh, kind of shared imagination or or a reality you, you you kind of collectively buy into that uh, can transcend
0: just the ordinary. Are you sticking with the high fantasy genre for season two, or will you be exploring horror, or science fiction, or other other elements of the fantastical?
2: That. Is a complicated question. <laughs> no
3: comment. <laughs> I
0: love it. Oh, Jordan, to go back to something that uh, I think you mentioned glancingly in your answer to you editing Brandon's writing for the first season. Mm-hmm. That was sort of an open-ended answer that you gave that suggested to me that you are going to maybe be writing episodes for the second season.
2: Is that I am, yes. You make? All right, cool. Uh, yes, I am going to be um, writing a few episodes and co-writing a few episodes with Brandon in season two, which I'm very excited about. It's my uh, first time really trying my hand at that. Um, I've written lots of different things, but this is all new. And I've also never... Like written characters who aren't my original characters, which is totally fun. <laughs> Highly recommend. Yeah.
0: Whoa, well, you're in the same boat as Brandon was like 14 years ago. Yes. On Second Shift.
2: <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, re- I'm so excited. Like, I can't... I, season 2 is gonna be... It's gonna be some good times.
3: You wanted to say epic and you stopped yourself. <laughs> I, I
2: did not
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean uh, it's it's really an obvious choice to to have Jordan step into a, a writing and co-writing role. I mean she knows the show as 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 well as I do I think at this point where where she was always its first reader and and kind of its most adept sort of um collaborator throughout the process so yeah it'll it'll be exciting it'll be it'll be interesting for me kind of opening up something that that was quote-unquote mine i mean it wasn't it never was totally mine but it kind of originated with me because i i i love collaborating i love co-writing but it'll it'll be interesting kind of uh welcoming different voices to to a world that that was mostly mine
0: to start with
2: i'm excited yeah that'll be really
0: cool (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) Well then my final question to you both. Okay. Uh, this has been on my mind a lot because I just read I just reread his dark materials for the first time in 20 years. All right. If you had a magician's familiar or a demon, <laughs> mm-hmm. what sort of animal shape would it take?
2: Oh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. What what shape would your soul be, Jordan Stillman?
2: <laughs> it would be a cat, a hundred percent.
0: Lobbing you a big old softball. Oh, that's true. When I went to your when I went to your website, if we go to Jordanstillman.com, you will see this very elegant little JS logo. Oh, Jordanstillman.com. hmm
3: oh, Let me let me There's mosey little on little over cat. there.
2: It's very yes. cute, Brandon. Uh, my my good friend and the uh Visual artist for the Ordinary Epic, Haley Tharat. She did that design as well.
0: It's very cute. I like it.
2: She's great.
0: <laughs> so you would be, you would be just cat, just any old cat.
2: Yeah, I think like domesticated cat. Um, they are everything to me. I I feel very strongly to them. Uh, they are probably honestly kind of what I wish I could be more of. They don't really care what anyone thinks. They are just like, so fierce and lovely. And I just I love cats. I love cats too much, like definitely too much. Um, Yeah, that might not be the most interesting answer, but it's definitely what's true. I just love cats. I love them.
3: Uh, I have a stupid answer. Oh,
1: okay.
2: I
3: love it. <laughs> um, th- there's probably a name for this meme, but but you know, like the, the husky who's like chewing on a toy and then the last <laughs> frame, is it like looking at the camera and going, ah? That's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the bad joke meme Yeah, dog? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure. Especially now that I'm a dad, and I'm, I'm like really, I'm really leaning into the. Jordan's laughing a little bit too much.
2: I'm laughing because it's so true. Yeah. It's, yes.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm really like leaning into the dad jokes these days. So
2: that checks out. I love that. I
3: love that so much.
0: <laughs> uh, what would, what would yours be, David? Yeah,
2: David. What would yours be?
0: I think mine would be a a ringtail or a.k.a. a bassarisk, a.k.a. a miner's cat. (gasps) Um, (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about, Jordan? There was a gasp of recognition, I thought.
2: Yes, (laughs) I do.
0: So they're – Brandon and listening audience, they are um, members of the family Procyonidae, right? So they're related to – they're in the (laughs) raccoon family. Uh, But they look – they kind of look like North American lemurs, Essentially, that is very, very cute. I have just googled ringtail cat. Right, and, they're yeah. so cute. They look like Momo <laughs> from uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh my gosh! Uh, so like big, cute, like wide-eared, fenicky, with like a ring, like a, a a banded tail. And apparently, miners in in you know Arizona and California during the gold and copper rushes in the Yukon, they would keep them. They would domesticate them and keep them as like. Rat eating house pets. Wow! Stop I just love it. the idea of one of them like clambering up on my on my shoulder like a squirrel and being like, "Which way is adventure?" Yes,
2: I love that.
0: That's the best answer. David wins. It was that or like wombat, but wombats are so like waddly and ungainly, kind of like me. That I was like, no, I must have something light. Uh, but it would also probably be a wombat too. I might like swap between. Them. It's excellent. Um, well thank you both so much for for joining me for this interview. This was a sheer delight. Oh, thank oh, you. This thank was a lot of you, David. fun. Thank
2: you, This was so great. Oh my goodness. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what a pleasure to get to know you both better. You too. And you uh, too. hey, hey, any time you want to have us back. Seriously. Okay. We we it don't have a privilege. lot we don't have a lot going on. We'll we'll happily, <laughs> happily do this. <laughs>
0: If you've got nothing to do but a whole heap of money to do it with, you can support Brandon and Jordan in all their audio fiction endeavors on Patreon at patreon.com slash theordinaryepic. We also have a Patreon where you can hear an extended cut of this interview. That's patreon.com Drama Revival. One of our Discord channels is called RDR Platinum where I recently described a fancy meal my wife and I had at a lovely French bistro in D.C. Where I had a kind of puff pastry and cream sauce dish called a boucher à la reine, similar to a vol au vent. It had sweetbreads in it. Want to know what a sweetbread is? Sorry, Charlie. That's platinum information. You can fa- Oh. Thank you to one of our newest supporters, Red Maple. What a lovely username. Acer Rubrum. You have our whole deciduous heart. Man, I love a tree. If I were a tree, I think I would be a fluffy little bonsai. No, a Pacific yew. No, a macrote lime tree. No, a ponderosa. This mediocre Paget Brewster impression brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. You can follow us on Twitter at Radiodrama and visit our website at radiodramarevival.com where you can buy a t-shirt with our fabulous logo on it. Now, here it is, your moment of will.
1: Hello, listeners. So... Last episode I was sick. Now I am not sick, but my microphone is dying a quick and slow death. It decides uh, every couple of seconds if it's going to die or not. No worries, though I have one coming in on Monday. Yay! A new mic is a great day. It feels like a haircut, but for audio. And not the editing kind of cut. So, in fear that my mic is going to die again, before I finish this, I will say that I love you, and I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have a good day, and drink some water.
0: And now for the traditional end of episode gong, followed by the sound of a courtroom where the judge's gavel has been replaced by a rubber chicken. The ringing of that gong and the sound of justice tell me it's time for the credits. This podcast is recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation, the Piscataway Kanhoye Tribe, the Pamunkey People, and the Nanticoke People. If you live in the Americas, Australia, or New Zealand, you can learn more about the native, First Nations, or indigenous heritage of your area by visiting whos.land. Our theme music is Danger Diggy Doo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our social media manager is Anne Baird. Our submissions editors are Elena Fernandez-Collins and Rashika Rao. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalge. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.